You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. It's good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 11. And as you're turning there, I just want to encourage you as, as one of your pastors to actually look at your Bible during this time, to not just look at me, um, but we have a great gift in having Bible. So actually bring your Bible or open your phone, your device, and, or one of the Bibles there on the ground next to you on Exodus 11. Because uh, I'm well aware that during the 38 minutes of me preaching, your life could not change at all. There's not a lot of power in anything I'm going to say. But when those things align with God's word and when you hear God's word and when you read God's word, those are in the moments where your life, by the power of the Spirit, where your life could change forever. And so I I just want to encourage us to bring your Bibles, look at them, use them uh, during this time. Because now as we read about the final plague, we've been looking at all of them for a couple of weeks now. And as we've been journeying through Exodus, and now this final plague, this final round between God and Pharaoh, and between God and all the false gods of Egypt, Pharaoh is finally going to bow the knee to God, and he's going to obey, and he's finally going to let the Hebrews go. Because all of the other plagues, as horrible as they were, the Nile to blood, and lice everywhere, and, a, and frogs in your bed, and just Cows dropping dead everywhere. They don't compare to the last plague. The last plague of the death of the firstborn sons throughout the land of Egypt. And so what we're going to see today is that really judgment day is unavoidable for all of us. And since these words that we're going to read come to us in the same universe-creating power of God himself, let's stand together if you're able, with the reading of God's word. And we'll begin in 11.1, and we're going to read through 12, but we're going to jump around a little. So just just hang, just follow my my lead. And beginning in 11.1, the Holy Spirit tells us through our brother Moses, and Moses is still in the presence of Pharaoh after this ninth plague. And now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will drive you out of here. Now announce to the people that both men and women should ask their neighbors for silver and gold items. The Lord gave the people favor with the Egyptians. And in addition, Moses himself was very highly regarded in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. So Moses said, this is what Yahweh the Lord says. At about midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. And every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, to the firstborn of the servant girl who's at the grindstones, and as well as every firstborn of the livestock. There will be a great cry of anguish throughout all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now skip to chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month is to be the beginning of your months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families. One animal per family. 
If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are, are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. Here's why, verse five. You must have an unblemished animal, a year old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel of their houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or, un- or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire. Eat its head as well, its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning, you must burn. And here's how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You're to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. Now skip down to verse 21. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin and brush the lintel and the doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and seize the blood on the lintel and the doorpost, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer into your house to strike you. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you are to observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, why and what does this ceremony mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshiped. Then the Israelites went and did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with all his officials and all the Egyptians. There was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go. Worship the Lord as you've said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you've asked and leave. And also bless me. Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country, for they said, we're all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls, and they wrapped up and their clothes on their shoulders. Then the Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items and for clothing. And the Lord gave them such favor with the Egyptians 
that when they gave, they gave them what they requested, and this way they plundered the Egyptians. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we look at your wrath and your judgment and your provision and your your ability to set captives free, Lord, meet with us now because I know there are some here who have not experienced an exodus from their sin and from the impending wrath that is barreling towards them on judgment day. So help us now, King Jesus, and be at work among us by the Spirit. It's in your name we ask. Amen. You may be seated. Tex-Mex is always going to have a special place in my heart, and it should in your heart too. I remember being a kid and going to two pesos here in Houston, and then when Allie and I were first, you know, having our first unofficial dates, one of them was at Taco Cabana, that, was, that bought out two pesos, and we, Allie and I had our rehearsal dinner for our wedding at Lupe Tortilla on 249, and I'm pretty sure that chewy salsa is why Ivy's birthday, my daughter, is November 21st. Because on November 20th, 2008, we had a checkup appointment at the doctor. And he said, everything looks great. Uh, she's, Ivy's right on track. She's going to be born a month from now. We're, we're good. So we go out, meet, meet, some, meet my parents at Chewy's in the Woodlands. And like you do at any Tex-Mex place, you go to town on the salsa. And Natalie and I probably had 20 bowls apiece of that creamy jalapeno salsa. We go home. Natalie doesn't feel that great. Obviously, she's pregnant. She doesn't feel well. 4 a.m. Jeff! Huh? My water broke. Get the book. Get the book. What to expect when expecting? What do we do now that this stuff is going? Go to the hospital. Oh, geez. And so we go to the hospital. A few hours later, November 21st, 2008, Ivy. Grace Metters is born. And to this day, every time I walk into a Chewy's and I see that creamy jalapeno salsa, I'm reminded that doctors can lie. <laughs> they don't know everything. And I always think of Ivy's early arrival. Food and music and smells, they just have ways of connecting and embedding to memories in special ways. Like, you probably remember exactly what you were doing when you heard about 9-11. I'm sure there are times where you hear a song and it reminds you of a vacation you had in your childhood. Or you, you smell something and it reminds you of going to grandma's house and her always having fudge or having fresh cookies ready. And we can guarantee that I bet every Egyptian mother remembers where she was sitting when she found out what happened in her house this night. And I bet every Israelite remembered where they were when they heard the wails and the cries that happened throughout Egypt at the death of the firstborn sons. This shocking tragedy, this death of the firstborn sons throughout Egypt preaches to us a part of the gospel. It preaches a part of the gospel to Egypt a part of the gospel to the Hebrews, and a part of the gospel to us, and it preaches a part of the gospel to everyone who hears the story, and it's this, that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And that no one, here, here's point number one, no one can evade judgment day. So look at chapter 11, verse four. Moses is in the presence of Pharaoh after the, the ninth plague of darkness in the land, and here's what Yahweh says to Moses to tell 
Pharaoh, verse four. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. This is from God. At about midnight, I will go throughout Egypt and every firstborn male on the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, the firstborn of the servant girl who's at the grindstones, as well as the livestock. This is a terrifying reality. This is not just some make-believe Bible story. This is reality. And it hit, God's wrath hit from the Oval Office in Pharaoh all the way down to the son of a woman working for minimum wage. No one could evade this judgment. No one can evade the judgment of God. And remember, throughout Exodus, we've seen this is a battle between Yahweh and Pharaoh and all the gods of Egypt. As he says in chapter 12, verse 12, he says, I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. That's 12, 12. Yahweh is saying, I am going against all these false gods, the God of the Nile, the God over the sky, and Pharaoh himself, who viewed himself as kind of the, the top of all the gods of Egypt, the one who was supposed to be in charge of all the gods, the one who's in charge of all the safety of, of Egypt. And so now Yahweh is saying, I'm coming after you, Pharaoh, because even you won't be able to protect your family and protect the whole nation of Egypt from my wrath. No one can evade the judgment of God. And all of this is happening for one irreducible but often forgotten fact. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, the Lord says, the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. The wage you will earn from disobeying me is death. Judgment, wrath of God. So what's happening with Pharaoh? He is disobeying God every plague. He, Moses tells him, the prophet comes, the word of God comes to Pharaoh and he says, let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, no. He is disobeying. He is sinning against Yahweh every single time. And now it comes to the final plague and the wages of sin is death. Even at one point, Yahweh says, God says about the nation of Israel, Israel is my firstborn son. Let them go. Pharaoh says, never. Then, Pharaoh, then Yahweh says, then I'm coming after your firstborn son. The wages of sin is death. Listen, beloved, I know you can kind of read this verse and be like, okay, I don't know what that means. In our language today, if Paul was writing this today, he would say the direct deposit of disobeying God is death. The direct deposit of disobeying God is death. Everyone in this room has disobeyed God. Every man, woman, child. To the kids, I know it's family worship Sunday and the kids are here today. Every, when when God, God tells you to disobey your, God tells you to obey your parents <laughs> and you have disobeyed them. When every child that has not turned the TV off, when mom said to turn the TV off, and every time a child has not gone to bed, when dad said, it's bedtime, don't come out of your room again. Or when a kid swiped another Oreo, because they're double stuff, man. But mom said, that's enough. The judgment of those actions is death, is punishment, is hell. And when God says to all of us in this room, be kind to one another, and we disobey. Don't gossip, and we disobey. 
Don't give in to impurity and temptations on the internet, and we disobey. Don't be jealous of your friend's awesome stuff, and we disobey, and we do these things. Paul tells us the direct deposit, what you are getting into your account, is death, judgment, wrath, and your future is in danger. This is what the death of the firstborn is communicating. When God brings judgment on the firstborn of Egypt, do you know what he's actually doing? He is saying, I am disrupting your future plans. Here's how it plays out. A whole generation is being wiped out. So Pharaoh thinks his firstborn son, it's this one that's going to take the throne. This one's going to take my place and rule over Egypt. And God says, I'm disrupting your future. I am cutting you off from what you think your future will be. And so when all these homes in Egypt are losing their firstborn, Yahweh is disrupting their future. Now who's going to take the family business? That would always happen. Now who's going to handle the inheritance? See, their future is being cut off. Their plans are being disrupted. And so Yahweh, through this, is God is showing us, what's your future? We all have plans that we think our future holds. So what is it? Your present and your past is filled with disobedience to God. And Romans 6.23 shows us, here's what's in your bank account. Here's what's your earning statement. You've earned death. So what does your future hold, friends? What will happen to you on judgment day? Because the Bible tells us, listen, that a day will come. Jesus will return like a thief in the night, like the destroyer in Exodus. And a trumpet will blare. And when that note is hit, bodies will fly out of the ground. Believers and unbelievers, all of us will fly out of the ground from Alexander the Great to Pablo Picasso to your boss to your third grade science teacher and you, we will all resurrect. And we will all appear before a man from Nazareth who was pronounced dead by a professional Roman executioner. But then he was declared alive by an angel on Easter Sunday. We will stand before him and books will be opened and every secret secret thing will be brought to the light. Every word spoken will be brought up. Every intention of the heart will be manifested. And as judgment day unfolds, some of us will be, be told, welcome. Welcome into your master's joy. Welcome to the new heavens and the new earth. And then some of us will be told, you are cast into the outer darkness. You are cast into the lake of fire where you will suffer for eternity. What is your future? Where will you go? What is your confidence? Will God's wrath land on you at judgment day like it landed on Egypt, or will it pass over you like it did for the Israelites? Like this night in Egypt, we are all heading for judgment day, but there is good news. You, while you can't evade it, you can have a stand-in. You can have a sub As God tells Moses these things are unfolding, look what happens in chapter 12, 21. Moses tells the elders in all of Israel, there is a way, not that we can evade it, but we can have a stand-in. Something can take our place. Verse 21, Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go select an animal from the flock according to your families. The reason he says that is because they're gonna have to eat this animal. So you don't get one too small, don't get one too, too big and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, this branch, and dip it in the blood that's in the basin and brush your doorposts with some of the blood in the basin. 
None of you go out the door of your house until morning when the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and look, and he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts. He will pass over the door and not let the destroyer into your house to strike you. So here's what God says. Judgment day's coming, but you can have a stand-in. The Lord tells them, go get a goat, go get a sheep, but it's gotta be an unblemished one. And this is really important because it's gotta be one that's not scraggly and weird, missing an eye. It's not, you can't be one of those sheep that you didn't like anyways and you were gonna leave it at the curb and your neighbor could have it. You notice how we, like, there's this weird unwritten rule in all of our neighborhoods. Put something on the curb, TV screen, computer screen, I don't want it anymore, you can have it. But if, if it's up more in the yard, get out of my yard, you're trespassing. On the curb, you can have it. Here, the Lord's saying, put this, don't get one that you put on the curb. I want you to go get an unblemished, 4-H, blue ribbon, prize-winning lamb, and bring it into your house for four days, he says. And I want it to be a part of the family. I want you to name it. Name it Wilbur, Charlotte's Web. I want you to love this animal. Don't view it just as some farm equipment. Bring it in the house for four days, and then slit its throat, and then kill it, and then collect that blood in a jar, in a basin, And then I want you to take that, go rip a branch off your tree, dip that branch in the blood, and you go paint your house in blood. You go put blood all over your doorframe. And when the destroyer comes, I will pass over you. Because that lamb's blood will be shed instead of your firstborn son. Can we just pause for a second and go, this is weird. You imagine hearing this and going, you want me to do what? You want me to raise this animal in my house for four days, kill it, and then have my kids watch me paint blood over my house? You think my wife, that's not a part of our interior decorating plans. That's not not the, the vibe of our home. This is strange sounding, and that's exactly the point. Because God is saying to, to the nation of Israel, I want you to have faith in me, and I want you to trust me. And I want you to do something so off the wall that the only reason you would do this is because I believe God is telling me the truth. And God is telling us the exact same things. Do you realize what we do when we gather here? What we are saying to one another? It's no different for us. We are saying we believe in a virgin-born son of God. And we believe that he never sinned. And we believe that he was nailed to a cross, though he was innocent, He died for us, and he was laid in a tomb after he died, and that he rose again for us. And that if we believe that, if we believe this happened to the Son of God, then we will be passed over on the future judgment day. This is odd sounding too, because God always takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, whether they're in Egypt or in 21st century America. God tells the Israelites, judgment day is going to happen, but you can have a stand-in. You can have a substitute. So, and don't forget what we've read. There is still bloodshed in every home in Egypt. Something dies in every home. It's not that judgment gets avoided. No, judgment happens in every home. It's either the blood of a sheep or the blood of the sons. See, the Lord passes over the homes covered with blood because judgment already happened. 
judgment already unfolded. He, as he sees the blood, he goes, I don't need to bring wrath here because blood has already been shed. I'm moving on. The Passover is preaching the other part of the gospel to us, that while the wages of sin is death, it is also true that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what Jesus does for us on the cross, by his skin being cut, by his veins being busted open, and blood spilling and mixing there in that Jerusalem soil, Jesus is preaching to us, I can cover your sins. You have real disobedience. You have real judgment headed your way, and I have a real way that you can be forgiven. Paint your house in my blood. Paint your life. Cover your life in my blood and receive this judgment that I will be judged for you. The sinless, spotless lamb, the unblemished lamb of God. That's exactly on earth. That's exactly why he came to earth. When Jesus shows up in the Gospels, John the Baptist, you may have heard of this guy, he is really kind of the last Old Testament prophet that's just got a foot in in the New Testament. And he sees Jesus, and what does he say? Look, it's the Lamb of God. It's the Passover Lamb who comes to take away the sins of the world. And I, you got to notice that he says world. Because now John the Baptist says, I know that the Passover isn't just for the nation of Israel. It's for the world. Not just the people who were trapped in Egypt, but it's now for people from Mumbai, India, all the way to Houston, Texas. John the Baptist was teaching about you, that your sins could be covered by Jesus. The free gift offered to you. Your future's been cut off, but Jesus can give you a new future, a new hope a new heavens, a new earth. He can resurrect you and make you a co-heir of all the promises of God because we've all disobeyed, but the obedience of Christ, his blood can now cover us. And listen, to all the kids in the room, I remember stealing baseball cards as a kid and having them tucked in my shirt and shorts and walking out the grocery store with my aunt and all of them falling out in the parking lot and crying, knowing I'm in huge trouble. I remember lying to my parents. I remember vandalizing our elementary school. And I remember hearing one summer camp, children's camp, that sinners go to hell. And I sat there and I knew I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. I steal, I lie, I vandalize, I cheat. I'm a sinner and if sinners go to hell, that's where I'm going. And to every child, every man, every woman in this room, if you are a sinner, that's where you're going to. But then I heard this preacher say that Jesus can save you from your sins. Jesus can make you no longer just a sinner. Jesus can save you. And that every boy and every girl and every man and woman here can be saved by Jesus. If you will just believe that the blood of Christ was shed to pay for your sins, that if you'll trust that Jesus, when he was dying, he was being judged by God so that you don't have to, that all of your sins were landing on Jesus. And when you believe in him, Jesus, you died for me. I believe you raised for me, that now the blood of Christ is painted over your door too because Christ is our Passover lamb, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul says, this meal isn't just about 
what they did back in Exodus. This is about Jesus. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. As the Israelites would eat this sacrificed lamb, they would remember what was provided for them, that God passed over them. And Paul says, and you too, Christian, that Jesus is our Passover lamb, that his blood, his death, his life is for you. That the final plague actually landed on the Son of God. That's why it's called the Passover. It's passing over us so that it would land on him. And that's why when Jesus yells on the cross as he's dying, it is finished. It's done passing over. It's landed on me and it is done. And so Jesus stands in our place. Our substitute, our stand-in, you can't evade it, but he can take it for you. And that's why Jesus says, whom the Son sets free, you will be free indeed. After all of this blood is shed in Egypt, Pharaoh says to all the Israelites, get out of here. Bloodshed set them free, and blood can set you free too. Have you been set free indeed? Judgment sets us free. The judgment on Christ sets us free. As Galatians 5 says, for freedom Christ died to set us free. Has the Son set you free from your sins? Has the Son set you free from the wrath of God to come? Has the Son paid for all of the wages and all of the debt that you've collected against God? See, the old hymn that we sing is right. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of the Passover lamb. What can really make me whole again? I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to fix my life. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to make myself right with God. None of those things. What can make me whole again is nothing but the blood of Jesus. And you can't rely on someone else being set free by Jesus. It must be you. Do you notice back in Exodus, he tells them, every family, paint your house. You can't rely on your neighbor's paint job. Ah, my neighbor just, you know, my neighbor painted their door frame. I'm good. No, you must must paint your house in blood. And same goes for every person in this room. Your life must be covered in the blood of Jesus. You can't rely on Grandma Peggy being covered in the blood of Jesus. You can't rely on Uncle Warner's faith. Oh, you know, I come from a Christian family. It doesn't matter. It must be your faith. It must be you covered in the blood of Jesus. It must be yours. So have you believed that he died for your sins, that you can really be forgiven? You can today. To every man, woman, and child in this room, you can be saved from your sins and the wrath of God today if you'll just believe that, yes, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. And there's no other coating. There's no other paint, no other dressing, no other self-home improvements that need to be made. Just blood. But I'm an addict. Just blood. But I'm an adulterer. Just blood. But I'm an alcoholic. Just blood. But I'm an atheist and I've been involved in so many things and I've blasphemed God. Just blood is needed. Just the blood of Jesus. And I know for every Christian in this room, I know we go through seasons of doubt. I know we go through seasons of lacking assurance. Am I really saved? Am I really born again? And we try to look for different experiences. 
well, you know, I, I don't know, I read my Bible enough. I don't know if I did this enough. Those are not the places to look. The places to look are at the Passover lamb. Is my, is my doorframe painted in blood? Is Christ's blood covering my life? Every time you lack assurance, you look to that Passover lamb. You look to blood dripping off of a doorframe. That shows a sign of faith. Christ is my sacrifice. I don't, are you worried about judgment day? Some of us should be. Some of us should be terrified about the judgment day to come. And if you are, you can look to Christ, who was already judged for you on the cross, and then judgment day will pass over you. You cannot evade judgment, but you can have a stand-in. And if you do have a stand-in, the Bible tells us, remember his grace. Remember his grace. God tells the Israelites, after they're set free, and Pharaoh says, get out of here, get all of your stuff, go. The sun set them free indeed. Now the Lord tells them, I want you to eat a meal to remember this. Remember this every single year and have a meal, unlike any other meal in your home. And look at it in chapter 12, verse 11. He wants them to eat this meal, beginning back in verse 9. Don't eat it raw or cooked. Don't eat it like idolatrous Egyptian services. Roast it, eat its legs, eat its inner organs. Don't leave any of it till morning. And here's how they got to eat it, verse 11. Here's how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel. Your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You're to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. So this is how. I don't want you to eat it in your pajamas. I don't want you to eat it in your house shoes. I don't want you to eat it with your basketball shorts on and, you know, your stuff all put out and it TV trays and you're lounging on the couch. The Lord says, I want you to eat this meal with your shoes tied, with your wallet in your back pocket, with your hat on, your backpack filled, your suitcases packed. I don't want you to eat this meal with your keys in your hand because I want you to remember how quickly you were let out of Egypt, that the Lord set us free. In fact, they're supposed to have this deliberate dinner, this discipline of remembering how God set them free so fast that they're to even remember that their dough didn't even have time to rise. Their cake didn't get to finish baking. That's in 1234. Look, so the Egyptians say, get out of here. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. That's why he says all the time, you're going to eat for seven days, no leaven in your house. You're going to eat nothing but flatbread for seven days. But I like raised bread. I know, who doesn't? But you got to eat flatbread for seven days. Because I want you to have this odd practice in your life to where you are forced to remember, we, had to, we left Egypt, God got us out of Egypt so fast, our bread didn't even have time to rise. And so now they eat flatbread for seven days to remember God set us free. And we eat tiny, stale-like pieces of bread every Sunday to remember that we were set free too. And God tells them, eat the lamb, eat the bitter herbs, not because, you know, they're practicing for a cooking show, but to remind them of their bitter slavery in Egypt and eat all of it. Why? Look at chapter 13, verse 8. Chapter 13, 8. On that day, explain to your son. So when the kids are going, why are we having to eat sheep heart again? Why do I have to eat with my shoes on? Dad, why are you eating with your staff in your hand? Why do we have to eat these bitter herbs? I'd rather have broccoli. Why are we doing this? Explain to them, verse 8, this is because of what Yahweh did for me. 
For when I, he brought me out of Egypt. Let it serve as a sign to you, son and daughter, on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead so the Lord's instruction may be in your mouth. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with a strong hand. Tell them about this awkwardness. Yeah, this is awkward, isn't it? No one likes sheep heart. But you know what? God set us free. We'd all rather be sleeping in on Sunday morning. But you know what? God set us free. We'd all rather be doing other things than repenting of sin and reading our Bibles and going to small groups and reading the Bible at night and singing songs to a guy that we've never seen before. But you know what? God set us free. They're to remember every year and everything they do is about God's mercy. So he tells them, have this odd meal. Develop this holy discipline of remembering God set us free. And I told Natalie last night, my wife, it's time for our family to institute a new holy habit. We're going to eat at Chewy's every November 20th <laughs> to celebrate Ivy's birthday. It's good for families to have traditions and remembrances. Like I know the Bowles family, that I think every Christmas Eve they go find a donkey somewhere. Someone's got a donkey and you know, other livestock, and they read the Christmas story. It's good to have these traditions and times where we can remember God's blessings to us. And that's what Jesus does in the upper room. On the night before Jesus is crucified, he's there with his disciples. And do you know what meal he's celebrating? This one. He is celebrating the Passover meal. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, says, brothers, sisters, there's a new lamb for you to eat. Just like you ate that lamb and all of its body, this bread, this is my body. Eat it and remember me. And then he picks up a cup with wine and he says, just like they would paint their door frames and the, and the blood of that animal, this is my blood. And drink it and remember me that I gave up my life for your sins to be forgiven. And just like the Israelites' sons and daughters would ask, what is up with this weird Passover meal? That happens every Sunday at Redeemer with kids in this service. We eat the Lord's Supper, and you'll often hear little conversations around, what is this stuff? Why are these cups so tiny? What is this? And I love, those are some of the best conversations that can ever happen in a church. Because you can tell them, this is reminding us and preaching to us that Jesus is the only way for us to be saved. And when your kids are asking, am I getting some? I hope if they don't believe in Jesus, you're telling them, no. This is not for you. So every child in here that wishes they could have these little cups, they can be yours if you believe that Christ saves you from your sins. If you believe that Christ died for you and rose again from the dead so you could be forgiven, they are for you. But they're not just a little cute thing that we do on church. It is supernatural power that we partake in every Sunday, reminding us of Christ's death, reminding us of his resurrection. So if your kids are asking, hey, how come I can get there? How come? You tell them on the way home. You talk to them about the gospel. You tell them about forgiveness of sins. And I wonder if you've ever even asked your kids, do you know why we go to this place on Sunday morning? Ask them. See what they say. And then tell them why you do come here on Sunday morning. Because Christ set us free. Because Christ forgave me of all my sins when he died and rose again from the dead. See, we eat the Lord's Supper to remind each other of our forgiveness. So you got to transport yourself back to that first Passover meal. You have, you have kids 
sons and daughters watching their mother, watching their father eat the lamb. And you have a mother and a father watching their children eat the lamb. They're preaching to each other. God set them free. God set me free. And when we as the family of God gather on Sunday mornings and you see brothers and sisters in Christ all eating the bread and drinking the cup, we are preaching to one another, Jesus set us free. Jesus set them free. And Jesus set me free too. And just like you remember where you were on 9-11 and smells from your childhood, remember the sights and the smell, and the staleness, and the blood of the Lord's Supper. And maybe you'll remember when the grace of Christ overwhelmed you, and you cried tears of joy, and you left your sins behind even while they were still rising. Because whom the Son sets free, He is free. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.